That should work a little better. Welcome everybody to the House of the Lord for worship this morning. Back when I taught 10th grade high school religion class, we were going through the Old Testament prophets and we had a trigger device, a memory device for every single one of those prophets. When we came to Amos, Amos is a tough book, very, very direct. And so the memory device for Amos was a bullseye. Amos in judgment is going after all kinds of nations for going against the Lord. And so today, that's our Old Testament lesson and the focus of our sermon. He's very direct with us, and we're going to see that carried out even through the other lessons as well. God wants us to take these things to heart today. Order of service is found in your worship folder as well as on screen. Let's begin with our opening hymn, 631. grace of our Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you. God invites us to come into his presence and worship him with humble and penitent hearts. 
Therefore, let us acknowledge our sinfulness and ask him to forgive us. Holy and merciful Father, I confess that I am by nature sinful and that I have disobeyed you in my thoughts, words, and actions. I have done what is evil and failed to do what is good. For this I deserve your punishment, both now and in eternity. But I am truly sorry for my sins, and trusting in my Savior, Jesus Christ, I pray. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. God, our Heavenly Father, has been merciful to us and has given his only Son to be the atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. Therefore, as a called servant of Christ and by his authority alone, I forgive you all of your sins. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, amen. For all that we need in life and for the wisdom to use all your gifts with gratitude and joy, hear our prayer, O Lord. For the steadfast assurance that nothing can separate us from your love, and for the courage to stand firm against the assaults of Satan and every evil, hear our prayer, O Christ. For the well-being of your holy church and all the world, and for those who offer here their worship and praise, hear our prayer, O Lord. Merciful God, maker and preserver of life, Uphold us by your power and keep us in your tender care. The works of the Lord are great and they are glorious. His name is worthy of praise. Mercifully grant, O God, that your Holy Spirit may in all things direct and rule our hearts. For without your help, we're unable to please you. We pray through your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Please be seated. First lesson is Amos chapter 6, and the sermon is based on this. Notice how... Amos hits his target right on. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion, and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. Go to Kalna and look at it, 
Go from there to Great Hamath, and then go down to Gath and Philistia. Are they better off than your two kingdoms? Is their land larger than yours? You put off the day of disaster and bring near a reign of terror. You lie on beds adorned with ivory and lounge on your couches. You dine on choice lambs and fattened calves. You strum away on your harps like David and improvise on musical instruments. You drink wine by the bowlful and use the finest lotions. But you do not grieve over the ruin of Joseph. Therefore, you will be among the first to go into exile. Your feasting and lounging will end. The word of the Lord. Continue with an anthem by the great school kids.
Second lesson this morning from Hebrews chapter 13. Keep on loving one another as brothers and sisters. Do not forget to show hospitality to strangers, for by doing so, some people have shown hospitality to angels without knowing it. Continue to remember those in prison as if you were together with them in prison, and those who are mistreated as if you yourselves were suffering. Marriage should be honored by all, and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? The word of the Lord. We sing the verse of the day. stand for the gospel. Jesus' words this morning are from Luke chapter 16. There was a rich man who was dressed in purple and fine linen and lived in luxury every day. At his gate was laid a beggar named Lazarus, covered with sores and longing to eat what fell from the rich man's table. Even the dogs came and licked his sores. The time came when the beggar died and the angels carried him to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. In Hades, where he was in torment, he looked up and saw Abraham far away, with Lazarus by his side. So he called to him, Father Abraham, have pity on me, and send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue, because I am in agony in this fire. But Abraham replied, Son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things, while Lazarus received bad things, but... Now he's comforted here and you are in agony. And besides all this, between us and you, a great chasm has been set in place so that those who want to go from here to you cannot, nor can anyone cross over from there to us. He answered, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my family, for I have five brothers. Let him warn them so that they will not also come to this place of torment. Abraham replied, They have Moses and the prophets. Let them listen to them. No, Father Abraham, he said, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. He said to him, if they don't listen to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced, even if someone rises from the dead. This is the gospel of the Lord. Please be seated for the hymn.
Abraham said yes. There's the rich man in hell having this discussion with far, far away Abraham. What if Abraham said yes? What if God allowed Abraham to say yes to that question? But will you at least send Lazarus back to my brother's houses? I have five brothers. At least send them to go warn them. I don't want my brothers to come here. What if God said to Abraham, sure. I will send Lazarus back from the dead. What's Lazarus supposed to do? He wakes up from the dead, comes out of the tomb, go knock on the doors of those five brothers, talk to them and talk to their families, and they answer the door, and what's he supposed to say? I am Lazarus. I was that guy that had the sores that was placed outside your dead rich brother's house. He didn't notice me. I'm back from the dead. (laughs) There was a discussion between heaven and hell. And your rich brother who's dead, I hate to be the one to tell you, but he's in hell. And he had a request to Abraham and really to God to send me back to warn you. You're rejecting the grace of God. You are so in love with your money that you have forgotten faith in the Savior. And if you don't repent, you're headed there too. This is your Lazarus moment. How do you think they're going to take that? How do you think the rest of that conversation is going to go? Do you think he's going to get a door slammed in his face? I mean, here these people are, the nobility, the high-ups, the leaders. If they're relatives of this wealthy man... Likely, they even received a portion of his estate for their inheritance. So they're equally wealthy. They're going to be known in society. You really think they're going to drop everything they're doing and they haven't been listening to the word of God or listening to the Lord at all up to this point 
Do you think they're really going to listen to a man that they didn't even notice had died in the first place? They don't even know who he is. Maybe more practically and importantly, what about for us today? As the word of God is brought to you, <clears throat> a bullseye targeted lesson. What's going to happen today? Because it's not any easier today to bring a message like this to people today. It is still just as challenging. And yet here the word of God is. If the people back then in Jesus' day, which is why he told this rich man in Lazarus' parable, if the people back in Amos' day fell into that money pit of sin where they lived for luxury and loved the stuff of life and they forgot completely about the Lord and became self-indulgent and careless, don't you think that can happen to us today too? Absolutely. And so this is our Lazarus moment today. This is God placing something right in front of us. This is God placing his word right on our doorstep, right in front of our life. He wants us to trip over this the way he wanted the rich man to trip over Lazarus in this lesson, right outside his gate, and notice this and deal with it. And so, yes, Amos is very sharp. Amos is extremely pointed. And as he is with us today, there's a basic principle we need to keep in mind. There's not one thing wrong with the Word of God. There is no defect to any part of the Holy Scriptures. In fact, the Word of God is flawless in every part. But that doesn't make this easy to hear today. That does not make this easy to look at and to study. In fact, what most often happens with a lesson like today is that the sinful nature rears up. And the sinful nature acts up. And it starts making excuses. This scripture must must have something wrong with it. In fact, it must have some sores on it. It, it. it must have something diseased with it, kind of like Lazarus in that gospel lesson. There must be something deficient with this, because after all, aren't all of us, when it comes to our wealth, aren't we all confident and comfortable with where we're at? I, I mean, certainly we'd like to improve it. We wouldn't want it to get less, but we all are okay with where we're at and we're comfortable. And so in a general sense, we really don't want anything to change. And so the problem certainly can't be with us to take an introspective look at our life and evaluate sin. The problem must be God doesn't understand inflation and, def and what's going on. And, and, uh, maybe a recession coming and maybe even a depression coming. God doesn't understand the dynamics of my family and the things I have going on in life, and he doesn't understand how touch and go the job may be, even, even with jobs galore going on. And so all of a sudden, we're starting to look at other things. When, when really what's at heart here is when the Word of God addresses something like this, it's kind of like a person coming between a bear and her cubs. And so the defenses go up, we rear up a little bit, and... Maybe we even get a little confrontational. 
Our sinful nature would like to take the easy way out, wouldn't it? Our sinful nature would do like to do exactly what that rich man did. Walk out of his home with his posse. He's got his groupies for his business. Things are going well. Uh, the business is thriving. And he just gets to walk out and he gets to go out that gate and not even notice this issue of Lazarus right there. That's really what we'd like. Let's just not talk about this. Let's not address it. Let's overlook this. Let's move on. That's exactly what the people back in Amos' day were saying too. But Amos noticed and he didn't hold back. He said this. Woe to you who are complacent in Zion and to you who feel secure on Mount Samaria, you notable men of the foremost nation to whom the people of Israel come. This is a historic lesson from the Old Testament and so a little history background is needed. We're talking about after King Saul, King David, King Solomon. When King Solomon left the throne, his kingdom broke into two parts. So we're talking about Israel in general. There were the northern ten tribes and there were the southern two tribes that really became one. Judah assimilated Benjamin. And so you have the northern ten tribes and you have this, this uh, lower tribe called Judah. We're talking about these northern ten tribes. And what happened in their day after Solomon is they conquered all of their enemies all around them. A, a terrific feat. And so here these nobility people were sitting without any enemies. And so they got to drop their guard. They were at peace. They didn't have anything to worry about. And that's point number one. The second point is when they're at peace with everybody around because they conquered them and broke down the city walls of their enemy, they got to plunder their enemy. And so they had all this wealth from all of these enemy nations that was brought to these northern ten tribes and they were living in the lap of luxury. And so their human-made peace and their wealth galore and their ivory beds became their confidence. And they completely forgot about the Lord. And when that happens, think about the residuals. They don't want to hear a message from God's prophet talking about Judgment Day. I mean, that's upsetting the peace. They don't want to think about sin and accountability to God. That's infringing on their comforts. They don't want to think about repentance. These things are far off. Let's just enjoy the life we have. And that's exactly what they were doing. But then it didn't just affect them, it affected other people. And so the prophet near the end makes this very pointed comment too. You don't grieve the ruin of Joseph. So Joseph obviously was sold into slavery. His two sons took his place and they got two of the northern tribes, Ephraim and Manasseh. Ephraim was so big that often he's used as a name for the entire northern ten tribes. But this, you don't grieve the ruin of Joseph comment means you've completely forgot the common people. You're not caring for the citizens anymore. All you're doing is being concerned about yourself. And so <clears throat> when leaders don't lead, and when leaders don't lead in godliness, what happens to the commoners? They sit there and they look at these people who are, who are supposed to be leading them and doing godly things, and what happens to the commoner? They go down the tubes. A cesspit of sin. And down they went. 
And so the whole northern ten tribes of Israel with terrible leadership and awful citizenry became the object of God's scorn. The wealthy people, the leaders, all they were concerned about is how much wine they got to drink on the day, all their luxury and and laying back and lounging by the poolside and doing whatever things they wanted. They didn't have anything to worry about. And they despised the people of God that they were supposed to serve and care for. That's why the very first word of Amos in our text today is that three-letter word, woe. It's kind of like watching that horror movie and all of a sudden the music gets really eerie. That term woe is one of these ominous words that means judgment is coming. Look out, it's on the horizon. And he uses three examples. Hey, leaders, have you taken a look at Kelna? Have you taken a look lately at Hamath? Have you taken a look at Gath? And these were foreign cities throughout the area that had big city walls and they had a lot of wealth. They would have had nobility too. And their city walls had crumbled, didn't defend them. And their wealth was plundered, didn't do a lick of good for them in the end. And many of them were killed. That same thing by the hand of God would happen to these northern ten tribes for their living in luxury and rejecting the Lord. And that day would come in the 700s when God would send the Assyrian nation who would wipe them out, tear down their city walls, carry them off into captivity. And guess what? These northern ten tribes were never heard from again. Carried off into captivity, never heard from again. You know what that sounds like? Hell. Somebody carried off into hell never to be heard from again because you can't get out of it. Isn't that exactly the predicament of the rich man? There was no crossover from hell to heaven. There is no cross back from hell to earth. Once you're there, that is eternal, permanent captivity. Period. I've never preached on this lesson before. I've usually preached on the Luke lesson or maybe the Hebrews lesson. So for the first time in 20 years, I chose this lesson. And for the first time in my ministry, I have a sermon that I'm presenting to somebody that has not one ounce of gospel in it. It's incredible. This lesson, all seven verses, is seven verses of the harshest law. You know what it sounds to me like? It sounds to me like Abraham talking to that man in hell. He couldn't give him an ounce of gospel. What, what good news is there for somebody when they go to hell? There is none. It's permanent. You're sunk. But this is your Lazarus moment. This is God laying his word on you and putting it at your doorstep and letting you hear that for those who humble themselves, as you did at the beginning of the service and confessed your sin, for those who humble themselves in repentance, as Martin Luther's first of the 95 Theses says, this is the common state of the Christian. They live in constant repentance, trusting Jesus. For you who humble yourself and turn away from sin, even the sin of living in luxury and misprioritizing our goods, that this isn't the end of the story. 
that God has another message for you. It's a message Amos couldn't share with his people because they weren't repentant. But there is one I get to share with you because you are. That God has sent you his word which tells you all about his son Jesus Christ through faith in Jesus. God connects you to the righteousness that he lived for and won. Let me spell that out for you. That when Jesus lived on earth, he didn't overlook the Lord. When Jesus lived on earth, he didn't walk out of his house or or wake up in the morning and overlook the needs of his neighbor. Nor did he ever look at the position he had on earth as something to be abused, something to be twisted for his own selfish purposes so that he could get ahead and take advantage of the commoners. Far from it. Instead, what Jesus saw his life to be for was to go to a cross and die. And instead of using his life to indulge in wine and every kind of revelry and all those wine jokes that you can find on social media today about glorifying wine and alcohol, what Jesus did was drink the cup of salvation for sinners. So that that ominous woe that was pronounced on mankind, Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden, when you and I look at the cross that stands behind me, it pronounces to the sinner a good news message that Christ himself took the consequences. He took that judgment, that ending that was supposed to be ours from that pronouncement of woe in the Garden of Eden. On the cross, Jesus took our place. And that's what Lazarus trusted. That's the only reason people go to heaven. Not because they're poor, but because they turn away from sin and trust Jesus. And Christ brought them to heaven. And the same thing will be your story as you and I turn from sin, even sins like luxurious, living for wealth and luxury. When we turn from that, God makes you rich. And he pours out his grace on you and says the consequences of your sin were put on Jesus. Jesus is the bridge between this world and heaven. There isn't one from hell to heaven. There isn't one from heaven to hell. But there is one right now in Jesus Christ from this world to heaven. And it's yours for free through faith in Jesus. This is a lesson today that's not about giving more to the Lord. This lesson today is not about what you should do with your money. There are other scriptures that do address that and talk about that. But today's lesson from Amos is a pointed lesson about what not to do with your wealth. Don't let it come between you and your Lord. Don't ever, ever let it get anywhere close to that. Instead, take a look at this tough message from Amos today and see really, even if it's a tough message, how loving God is to knock on your doorstep and bring it to you. He cares that much for you that he wants you, for Jesus' sake, to come to heaven by his grace. Take the message to heart.
This is your Lazarus moment. Amen. Please stand. May the peace of God which surpasses our understanding guard and keep your hearts and minds through faith in Christ Jesus. Amen. We join in the creed. We believe in one God, the Father, the Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, of all that is seen and unseen. We believe in one Lord, Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, with the Father. Through him all things were made, for us and for our salvation. He came down from heaven, was incarnate of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, and became truly human. For our sake he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. He suffered death and was buried. On the third day he rose again in accordance with the scriptures. He ascended into heaven and is seated at the right hand of the Father. He will come again in glory to judge the living and the dead, and his kingdom will have no end. We believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who in unity with the Father and the Son is worshipped and glorified, who has spoken through the prophets. We believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. We acknowledge one baptism for the forgiveness of sins. We look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Heavenly Father, do not let our riches in this world warp our hearts from the riches of grace you offer in Jesus. Let Amos' words hit their mark. Then lead us to the marks in Jesus' hands and feet and the empty tomb that witness our salvation. With renewed hearts, may we fix our eyes on the riches that are unseen, that you provide, and are eternal. Mark and Audrey Kolosowski have certainly done that. And you have prospered them for 50 years in marriage. We wish them congratulations on this wonderful milestone and we praise you for your faithfulness to them over all these years and blessing their house by your promises. Please watch over Ziggy Bulitz, who was hospitalized this past week. Comfort Dan and Rachel Rabine at the death of Dan's mother, Wilma, as well as Kurt and Sherry Hansen at the death of Kurt's mom, Mary Jean. Give these families comfort that you, Lord Jesus, were their Savior and have given them eternal rest. We also join to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Our Lord Jesus Christ, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. The same way after supper, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is poured out for you for the forgiveness of sin. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. And the peace of the Lord be with you always.
please be seated.